the big paradigm shift in NFTs in particular was um, before you would have to do something kind of free or ad revenue and you have to reach like a billion people to be successful, right? And survive because you're getting like 0.01 cent on every view. So you kind of have to play to generalities and you need to make something like popular that kind of like resonates with everyone to be successful, which, which is quite hard. I think a cool part about NFTs and people being able to pay you for your work is that, um, yeah, you could do something much more interesting and niche and like probably get like a much smaller audience, but they have like a deeper resonance to what you're doing and you could still like survive off of that and then, you know, create something that's a little bit more true to yourself. So I, I would say like not being too afraid to shy away for something like weird or strange or something like very niche and unique because I, I think that's um, one really possible and two, it, it, it does hook people and you'll get, you'll find people that resonate with your niche. There's like a billion people out there on the internet. There's definitely, you can find 9,000 that are into your weird thing. <laughs> Welcome to UFO podcast where artists, musicians, and Web3 builders talk about the future, a place for revolutionary ideas. I'm your host, Nick Hollins. On today's show, Nix. She's a co-founder of Crypto Coven, a team who adopted pseudo-anonymous names for their project. Appearing on Twitter as a squad as the collection came for Mint on October 31, 2021. That year, Nix and her friend, Alethea, both artists, have been in lockdown together and decided they wanted to create a PFP NFT collection. One that was female forward, as they were intrigued by what was happening in NFTs, but didn't identify themselves with the various ape and cartoon characters that were happening. Alethea suggested they create a project around witches, and a group of five friends formed to bring that idea to life. Joining Alethea and Nix were Zanu, Aradia, and Keridwen. Within two months and many nights of art, design, coding, and storytelling, everything had come together. Crypto Coven emerged as a mint website, a collection of 9999 witches, and a compelling force of storytelling and lore, which sparked a community to form and creatively expand upon that world. It's still in motion right now, in October, the season of the witch, the most wicked and woeful of months. Crypto Coven is just now releasing The Narrator's Hut on October 30, and they posted on Twitter this week, enter the home of the wild's elusive narrator and find her willing to share stories of old, powerful witches, to accompany each a magical artifact that can be imbued with the very essence of your witch. These are NFT mints for artifacts and new characters called Faceless Ones. I recorded with Nyx earlier this year, right before NFT NYC in June. We start by talking about all the ins and outs of a project like this from the inside perspective, the power of lore, storytelling, and world building, and what can be accomplished in smart contract design and doing creative things with the tech. Now let's take a moment to thank our sponsors helping to put UFO on the air. UFO is a podcast that brings together the brightest builders, creators, and founders shaping the cultural side of Web3, and Zerion is the perfect wallet for these active citizens. Zerion combines every corner of Web3 in a simple and intuitive app for self-custodial humans. Discover the hottest NFT collections, track your DeFi rewards, and vote in DAOs across 10 plus chains. This is a crypto wallet that's really worth checking out. You can get started at zerion.io. That's Z-E-R. 
ion.io. Lens Protocol is the open source tech stack for building decentralized social media applications. It's a new era for social media in Web3. Lens isn't a social media app. It's a protocol to let Web3 social apps thrive, a permissionless and transparent social graph that is owned by the user. With Lens, your followers go with you to whatever application you want to use. And instead of being trapped inside the walled garden of an algorithm, Lens lets you choose the way that you want to experience your social media. Lens is the last social media handle you'll ever need to create. And UFO listeners can claim a handle and get started with Lens. For right now, the best way to pick up an invite is interacting with UFO on Twitter. Retweet, share with friends, post comments. There will be invites to join Lens. And if you've already joined, you can find UFO on all Lens apps at ufoclub.lens. We start now with my conversation with Nix, co-founder of Crypto Coven. I think like we had started like kicking around the idea of Crypto Coven kind of around like August last year. And yeah, I had been on the periphery of crypto for a while or like everyone was talking about it and it was like, um, it was something I wanted to learn more about, but DeFi just like wasn't that compelling to me. I, I think I'm like really privileged to live in America. So it wasn't something that you necessarily like needed. It was more of kind of like a novel thing to experiment with. But with like the rise of like NFTs and like digital art, like um, Ethereum definitely clicked for me. And I, I saw like a lot of the like potential and kind of like fun, interesting things happening. It, it definitely felt like the very early internet in a way that I was also really nostalgic for. But yeah, so by getting in, it seemed like the first thing to do at the time was like, okay, you have to pick um, like a profile photo project or kind of having like this digital avatar was part of the fun. Um, but yeah, at the time, there just weren't that many projects whose like art styles like really resonated with me. And because it, it's very personal, like with a profile photo, you want it to represent your, you want it to represent yourself. So you're looking for some sort of like deeper connection that yeah, I just wasn't, well, I mean, there were some very cool projects in the space at the time, but I was like priced out. I was like, oh, yes, those CryptoPunks, so sick, but I'm <laughs> not going to be affording one anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, I was like, oh, it also just seemed like a really fun, like generative code project, and, like intro to Solidity to do a ERC-721. And also I just, I, I really wanted to deploy something to the mainnet. I, I think just like a way of approaching getting into something. I'm like, oh yeah, you should give it a shot. Um, and, and that's how you get in. So I was like, cool, let's, let's, let's try something. And then, um, yeah, Alethea and I actually have started bleaching each other's hair over the pandemic because you just can't go to the salon anymore. So we would just spend like a mandatory, like 12 hours together, like, um, <laughs> once a month, uh, going through our roots. And so during that time I was like, oh, uh, I think we, I think we could do this. <laughs> I think we could do this. Um, let's give it a shot. And so we are kind of like ideating with like, uh, we also have just really similar like visual preferences of what we would do. And, um, yeah, we were like, witches just felt right. I think, um, especially since avatars tend to just kind of be like a costume or like fashion or a persona you put on, I felt like witches were just a really compelling one to have for women in this space, especially like witches have like a lot of agency. Uh, they're really not defined by their external relationships, like to others, like witches are like self-centered characters, <laughs> kind of like living in the woods and like um, throwing bones for prophecy and kind of um, summoning magic and creating things. And we're like, cool, that, that's like the, the energy we want our avatars to have. So we, we kind of just got the ball rolling. And um, 
yeah, it, it's funny because I think none of the other women who I asked to join ended up actually doing what I, I thought they would be doing, which is also part of the fun of the project. Um, like I, I don't really use Twitter and I, I, I never have. So when Juwami first came on, I was like, oh, you are great at this. Like, please, um, like definitely help the community stuff. She's also really passionate about things like, um, different kinds of governance structures and like cooperatives. So I was like, this will be really cool. But, um, yeah, she ended up digging into Solidity and wrote almost the entirety of our contract. It was really incredible. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is amazing, and and something that in seeing this project come come together relatively so quickly, uh, yeah, and just a yes, we're going to go do this and do it right now, and to execute it um, so well that I mean, to focus in on the smart contract aspect for a second, that there was uh, commentary from other creators in the space and and other developers who had like really high high things to say about how the contract was put together, some gas optimization that was in there. And interesting that the way that the contract was put together uh, aligned also with what seemed to be uh, a key value of the project itself, which was being potentially affordable on purpose um, with a, a lower cost at Mint um, and a real focus on supporting uh, you know, new people who are excited to enter the space and perhaps collect their first NFT. Totally. Yeah. And I think like at the time, the crypto company was launching at like the peak of Ethereum. So it was like a hundred dollar gas fee <laughs> was like not even unusual. That was kind of the norm for anything. Um, but yeah, I, I think especially for um, folks who are just new getting into the space, that's like, that's wild, right? So you're like, you're paying money for something and then like double the cost of it in gas. So really making sure that <laughs> that was um, uh, something that was like accessible was really important to us. Um, but yeah, even at the time, there was a lot of like really great like tutorials, like the Ethereum orgs, like documentation was excellent. We also kind of heavily read, I think like nftschools.dev had like a very good breakdown of like the different components that go into the project and kind of let us like make like pretty reasonable techno technical trade-offs and understandings. But I, I think like what we really got into it was Juanu just sourced like I think we read like we took a week off work and just jammed together and maybe read like 13 different <laughs> contracts and just like in depth kind of going through them with a comb, like looking for like patterns and like what worked and what didn't work. Um, and it was really funny because uh, a lot of contracts, especially at the time, you, you could just tell when people are like copy pasting code and like borrowing ideas from each other. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of like writing open source, which is really fun in that way. Um, but but yeah, she did like an incredible job. We also have like a very talented um, Solidity auditor who kind of we had, I'm so surprised that we found him. Um, it was during our when we first launched the witches the contract. Oh yeah, Jean also muscled through this absolutely amazing Merkle proof implementation that <laughs> we had it like hooked up to like a Discord bot that would like scrape the addresses. Um, but yeah like we had a function where you could have a max of three witches because we, we did really want the, we, we wanted like uh, as many people as possible and kind of like the reach during the mint. So we were like, okay, yeah, let's cap it at three as the max you can have in your wallet. And, but we had this gifting function that would allow us to kind of um, like gift witches to friends or people who had kind of like helped us get off the ground. Um, but we had a bug where you have, we, we definitely sent some gifted witches to people who already had three witches in their wallet and it kind of like skipped um like the iterator logic at the time was to use token supply 
Um, so like every time you mint one, token supply goes up and like the next one you mint is like token supply plus one. Um, but yeah, some quirks in the language, if you're doing like a bunch of gifts in a row in a for loop, uh, <laughs> skipping um, an iterator number turned out to be extremely deadly. So when we were kind of panicking on what to do. Um, just really early on in our discord, Marisen was just hanging out there and he was like, oh yeah, I'm a professional solidity auditor and I'm like down to let you know if your contract is bricked or not. So we were like, thank you. So it was definitely, he taught us like a lot of like very amazing like tips and tricks about solidity as well that kind of came through in the final contract too. That's amazing. Um, yeah, love love that it came together so well in that way. Um, before, yeah. before we sort of roll into conversation of some other things that I was curious to touch on aside from I'm conscious that when we publish this episode, there'll be some visual representation of witches somewhere for whoever's listening <laughs> to this. But I, I would love to turn and talk for a second about like the visual aesthetics of the NFTs themselves, yeah. the depictions and representations of these witches and women and uh, personalities and traits and all these things that went into it. Um, and I mean, that was uh, a consistent commentary about the project in general it's just like these things just look amazing i just love how these um pfps or nfts actually look so i'd love to hear about uh the the thought and and the process that uh went into it uh, for your team oh fantastic yeah so um yeah kind of at the at the time one of the goals for crypto coven was to introduce like i guess like more archetypes or possibility for women. I, I think at the time, like World of Women was one of like the few really pos really popular projects that featured women. And it was very much kind of like that. Uh, it, it, World of Women has like a very particular aesthetic, but a lot of times like the characterization just didn't go past like, you are a boss woman. <laughs> um, and then meanwhile, like the other projects are like, you are a like cat or a dragon or a wizard or like something more in these like rooted in RPG archetypes and kind of more of like an expansive like fantasy universe. And we were like, ah, oh, like I really wanted the, 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 the same for kind of our collection. So we kind of started by ideating around like the archetypes and just like different ways for these like witches to be represented. So we have like a cultist who are like a little like feral and wild and like kind of like interested in like crossing boundaries and seeing what happened versus mages that look at the world with this very like clear structural understanding and want to know how like every molecule fits together to like thoroughly feel comfortable and how it works and expand up to that with magic versus hags are a little bit more like cottage core and like nature magic and kind of finding balance of things so yeah i had like a rough idea of what i wanted for the directions but we did like a bunch of like mood boards and kind of creative processes with like the team of the five of us um to kind of start like fleshing them out and like their visual aspects um yeah caridun actually i had worked with uh like a long time ago on some just like creative like short comics for fun and she's just an incredibly talented writer so i think about that time we were thinking about the different parts that go into the metadata and descriptions was like a big part of it where i'm like oh yeah i want these to be like a little bit more generative and unique so i think i gave her some of my like high level jumble of thoughts about um, what I wanted for each of these archetypes. And she kind of wrote these like really amazing, like smooth, moody, like lore passages um, for each of the ones that Alethea and I then started just like riffing on visually to kind of develop the characterization of. But yeah, 
I think um, a lot of like the depth of the witches came from the combination of like my personal art style and Olivia's. I'm really into like indie comics. Like I love like saga um, <laughs> and a lot of like those kind of like gritty ink, like like girls juice um, uh, is what I really think is cool. And Alethea is incredibly talented and kind of has this really like polished, refined art style where she kind of deeply understands and like observes how like physical objects sit in the world and like the patterns of light and shadow. Uh, so I think like the combination of those two things, like it, it, it was a little bit like mixing oil and water, but once we got it, the click came out so well. Um, so yeah, I think like a lot of like the fact that like the shadows work correctly and like the witches have like weight and like their, like their gaze is like, has like a very like groundedness came a lot from like Alethea's style and a lot of like the really fantastical elements, like, ah, they should be covered in like glowing tattoos. And like, here's like a headdress that's only made from like Valkyrie feathers where, um, things that I pulled in and yeah, we just, I think we just stayed up till like four in the morning drawing. Um, for like many weeks in a row. Actually, that whole time was kind of like a fever dream, <laughs> but we ended up with like somewhere around like a thousand art assets, um, which was really cool. And then we ended up with this like pretty rich visual language. Oh, I, I think also at the time, like Mechaverse had just launched. Mm -hmm. um, I like kind of vibrantly remember that. Yes. And they had these like very beautiful promo images, but I remember like a lot of the feedback where people were like, oh, I don't like these because they all look the same. <laughs> so we were like, oh, I, I really wanted to pack in as much like individuality, I think, into the witches as possible. So we just wanted to like achieve that like scale and personality. So having the archetypes and then like a lot of different kind of like even subcultures within the archetype was like a way to achieve that. I also think it's just a cool way to demo what ERC 721s are with like that uniqueness represented like visually um as well as technically too yeah absolutely that's amazing to hear of you know rolling out like a thousand individual sort of art pieces that will overlay in that whole design process i think like so something innate in the roughly ten thousand nft like collection um you know paradigm is it like it creates so many variations on on a theme if you like and so many you know, and then the community themselves or the holders can sort of build a story around, oh, the gold ones or this or whatever, or yeah. this certain jacket, or you get sub DAO communities um, based on certain, you know, elements from the collection. Um, but again, like with the, the visual and art style of, of Coven's uh, presented so cohesively that I think that was quite arresting. Uh, early on for people of just like, oh, wow, like, look at like a, a, a common note I saw was basically like they all look good like there is no <laughs> there is no somehow lo lower one in the collection what do you call it like a, a, a there's no floor coven sort of idea. Uh, yeah. you know what I mean because they all it's there's no there's none that are basic quote unquote <laughs> oh that's incredible yeah thank you um yeah I, I think also when it comes to like I don't know, like like inclusion efforts or diversity efforts, like everyone wants something that resonates with them. And that's really what it boils down to. And if you can do that for as many people as physically possible, I think that's what makes it successful too. So yeah, I think also like we wanted to make sure we had all the skin tones, we have like three different base models to kind of at least like start touching on the edge of that there should be multiple body types. Um, and it really, allowed kind of like the vibrancy of the collection to like, like the number of combinations just went up as well. So it kind of served 
both goals. But yeah, I personally, like, I really love like a, like a queen and simple witch. I think before kind of the pattern was, oh yes, the more treats you have, like the better, but artistically, like you kind of look crazy if you have like 16 different accessories on. Um, and sometimes like that clean minimalism just comes through as like fashion. Um, like it just like looks really sleek. So it, it was, Alethea had a great quote early on where she was like, I'm the director in the director's chair does not need to be wearing like a, a fancy hat. So, so both of our witches are like quite like more of like the basic model, but some of those came out just like some of the most beautiful, which is like these very clean, like black and white palettes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it was really cool putting them together. We, we did also end up manually curating them at the end because there was, there was so many possible combinations and I had a bunch of like guardrail logic. So none of the witches came out like crazy. Like um, there's things like, ah, oh, if you're wearing like a face mask, like you can't have a hat. Or if you have like these bangs, like only like um, straight hairstyles in the back will work for this witch. So they all came out like kind of reasonable, but yeah, we, we definitely did a final pass where we picked ones with like color palettes we especially liked or we thought were particularly visually striking, which I think helped a lot too. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so on the kind of, um, I suppose the behind the scenes, the final pass, the, the curation, uh, element. Um, I'd love to unpack just a little, um, for instance, you know, we, we were talking before about writing out this, this lore or these, um, you know, stories, personality types that, that came along, um, with each, witch. I'm, I'm curious about, does this mean there are over uh, 9,000 plus, uh, pieces of writing made, or was there some, uh, generative, uh, machine element to, you know, generating out, stories based on certain traits or things like that. I, yeah, I'm just curious about on that side. Oh, totally. So yeah, I, I brought Caridon on to be kind of like our, our witch of wit and head copywriter. So at the time, yeah, I was kind of like, well, like the things that we can kind of easily spin up for you are like a Markov chain, um, which we kind of like did that like very cute intro to Markov demo where you put in all of Alice in Wonderland and you kind of get like absolute gibberish but like the tone stays very true i'm like or um we could try something more like open ai or gpt3 um and kind of just go from there i think i really wanted each description to be like truly unique so i was like there's no way you're writing out like 9099 individual ones like let's figure out a way to like combine like code to scale this while still keeping like your your writing style like shining through and kind of true to form so yeah, I think the way that we ended up breaking it down was like the Markov chains were just a little too nonsensical. Like you definitely got some like vibey phrases out of them, but they weren't quite, they, they weren't coherent. So yeah, Caridwin, uh, she she also comes from like a truly creative writing background. So I just gave her these tools and I was like, mess around and uh, <laughs> let me know what works. And if you want to build something custom, um, you know, Joanna O'Reilly and I are here for you. And so she kind of just went off on this journey alone, which was really, really cool. And yeah, I think she something that she found was that, yeah, so Markov's was a little bit too much of like gibberish. And a lot of the AI, it, it really matters a lot like what your like uh, seed text is, right? Because they're like crunching a bunch of like stories and books probably. And that's kind of like the, like AI doesn't come from nowhere. It's like what you like feed it with combined with the algorithm is like the end result. So um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what text is powering the, particular software that we use, but it would just go off of the rails. So she would have like, um, like a particular pattern she wanted to convey and it would just start writing like 
evocative fan fiction on its own, <laughs> just like nothing to do with witches. So I, I think something she found was that it was really good at mimicking like sentence structure. So if she fed it a bunch of sentences that had a very similar like feel and structure, um, the AI was good enough that it could mimic that and kind of give some like more like delightful combo. So she was treating it more like um, the AI could play Mad Libs basically <laughs> mm. quite well. Yeah. So I think she ended up writing like, I mean, a good number, probably like 200 or 300. Actually, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Maybe it was closer to like 50 of these like sentences where she was like, all right, I want, um, if you look at the witch articulations and like a few other projects have done this since I think they're, they're very structured. It's like an introduction about the witch, um, where their magic came from, something about kind of like what they like to do or like where they live in the world. And then like an exclamation at the end. So after kind of deciding like that would be like the pattern of the paragraph, sort of writing like 15 to 20, or actually maybe closer to 50 of like, of a sentence kind of in that style and feeding it into the AI, it would kind of like um, pop out some like really like beautiful and interesting <laughs> riffs. Like she would be like, oh, like um, I like, I sachet and pirouette on like the mountain peaks. And it would be like, I jitterbug and dosy do in the flames. And so, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like more of her familiar in that way where a lot of it did really come from her writing style, but the AI definitely let us scale it like way past what it would have been feasible to do as like a single individual. I, I, I think, uh, I think the result was successful basically. Like it, it delighted people as they were minting. They were like, Oh, look, look at this. Like they all have <laughs> yeah. their own story. So it was kind of a pleasant, uh, pleasant surprise for people on sort of opening it up along with, um, you know, the, the traits of each witch and all the sort of personality types and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I would love to ask a little about the creation of um, the, the archetypes of power that I know we touched on briefly, but in creating those and, you know, um, how that co-creation process came together among your team in sort of, and, and how much you're kind of interested in, say, fantasy and sci-fi and comics and, and how all this sort of alchemy kind of came together to what is like straight up world building, basically. Like you're creating this story world of the Crypto Covens, which continues to sort of unfold now. But I mean, it's no accident and it's effective storytelling mm -hmm. to have really uh, core kind of columns of these are the architects of power and we're kind of building out uh, from there. Oh, totally. Yeah. So I think like once we kind of had the general skeleton, I'm like, okay, like these are like, this is what motivates this person. Cause I think that's a lot of like where characterization comes from. Like, I didn't want them to be like flat and like visually pretty. Like I wanted them to have like a drive and like a power dynamic and like a way that they move through the world. So I think that's like kind of like core differences between the different archetypes is that they didn't they have like a different model of understanding and maybe like different motivations for what achieving what they want i think um yeah one of the first like mini projects we did after launching the witches was the personality quiz that caridon put together but, but yeah like a little bit like that like we wanted them to be personalities more so than just kind of like visual archetypes or hierarchical archetypes and kind of like enforce that feeling of sort of like flatness across the collection as far as rarity goes, but also like each thing could be special. Um, 
Yeah. So we sort of like, yeah, so we had these motivations and we all kind of pulled like characters or like different references that we thought um, was kind of like would represent that. And yeah, I think we all have like a decent amount of overlap. So like a deep love of like fantasy. Um, I actually like met Aradia through playing like D&D and like Minecraft <laughs> together. So some of these like really like similar cultural touch points, like really early on for necromancers, um, some of like the visual imagery is like, ah, oh, like you could have like a lich king or sort of like these like undead hordes. Um, but yeah, a lot of us really read and loved like Garth Nix books as kids. So like the Abhorsen series and like Serial, um, I think it's like Sabriel and Lyriel, where it's more of like a necromancer who like walks into death and can permeate the veil. And a lot of it is like putting spirits to rest as much as raising them. So we're like, ah, like what if for necromancers, actually like their true power is sort of that like empathy and like being able to understand a life in such a way you can like coax it across like the veil or anchor it here or send it back. Um, and yeah, I, I think like a lot of those references just like kind of came through. Um, yeah, I think mages and hags were definitely the easiest where you kind of like present them and people get it like right away. So for mages, we wanted to have a little bit more of that like cyberpunk element for Web3 and kind of like that engineering mindset of like, I want to break the world down to its individual molecules so I can re-piece it back together <laughs> in the configurations of my desire um, versus like, yeah, I think um, if you've read, oh, it's like the, I forget the name of the series overall, but the first book was called The Fifth Season. They have this incredible like, dystopian utopia they described again where like life is precious and like everything is living um and kind of combining those organic materials and that was a lot of the um inspiration for hag so yeah i think kind of just like a a deep love of <laughs> sci-fi and fantasy and kind of trying to combine and subvert some of the tropes that were really dear to us growing up or were enamored with currently kind of serves as the base so yeah, we did mood boards really originally as like a like as a community contest to kind of get their vibes. For us, there we have so many mood boards in the background. It's really just like <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was a real mess. Like that Tumblr kind of is no longer a thing because that would have really been the perfect <laughs> medium for this. But yeah, we have like like all right, everyone put in their archetypes or cultists um, and all these like a collection of visual references as well as kind of like written ones definitely served as the base for each of these that we kind of combined together and fleshed out from there i think uh, among among many things that i find exciting and interesting about crypto covens is this uh world building law building and all that and as you say like the community input um and exchange in that and kind of touching in so you get like a, a wider frame of reference for what people are interested in and since since the initial mint um, of the series, I'd love to ask about the uh, the tree of echoes and, and what uh, that's yeah. all about. Totally. So, um, yeah, this one actually was a a Caridwin brainchild. I think she had this really crisp visual imagery. We're sort of prepping for our second collection, which which I felt really strongly. I wanted to be multimedia so we're trying to move away from like the static jpeg it's, i think like nfts is digital experiences is one of the more it's like the most interesting direction that they could go so kind of experimenting with that so but like writing and writing and art are kind of like our our bread and butter it's what we're especially good at so definitely having writing as like the backbone of the of what kind of the next thing we did was really important that and like yeah we the crypto covenant community is 
absolutely amazing. I'm still sort of like flabbergasted daily that they found us, but sort of like the creativity and kind of the willingness to engage, like really early on, um, we as a team, we just sort of kind of answering basic crypto questions for people, like how to set up your wallet, like how to avoid getting scammed and some of these deeper um sometimes deeper questions about like the smart contract and kind of engineering and so really early on uh we had a group of which is um kagami first and foremost above them who are just like we are now librarians we are witch librarians we will like gather all the documents you can come to our library which is a discord channel and like ask us a question and we will like gruffly recommend you like a pile of books and like hex you if you misbehave <laughs> Um, and we also had like a detective agency pop up, uh, which is run by Gold King, who would kind of teach you how to use Etherscan and kind of like um, follow transactions in that way. But for a lot of these community projects, um, yeah, we definitely had kind of like the very like evocative, like lore overview and then the archetype pieces. But we really wanted to give them kind of a sneak peek of more of the depth of the world, I guess, and kind of like the places, the environments, like more examples of the tone to kind of build off of the sort of like anchor, like their creativity and just incredible things that they've been creating. So with the Tree of Echoes, um, I think Caridwin ended up writing like three short stories. And they're, they're also kind of early explorations, like she was like taking your articulations and she was like, what if I blew this out to kind of like a full-blown narrative about this witch? Um, and yeah, we're like, these are really cool. I would love to share them. And I also would love to see what people think about like their witches or like other witches in the collection. Um, so yeah, that ended up being sort of the basis for the Tree of Echoes. Um, and it's been incredible uh, reading everyone's submissions. Like they're so delightful and charming and strange. Um, and I think as people like did really pick up the vibe quite well and run with it. Um, there's definitely some I read it and I just, I just cried. <laughs> they were, they were really, really good. So yeah, it's been really cool kind of seeing people like reimagine their witch and sort of also just like picking up the tone and really making it their, their own that I, it's been really cool to see. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, like I haven't done creative writing in years or it's just not something that I, ever thought to take the time to do and I'm like wow you're like in one incredibly good at it too like I I'm glad that the the coven could kind of form the base of that inspiration for you you touched on um the idea because because I'm kind of conceiving of this as like initial mint moment all the witches mm. are created or emerge out into the interview they kind of they drop into the scene they're then picked up by a whole community that are interested in spinning stories or and or just resonating with the vibe of the project meeting other people in the community hanging out doing you know fun creative collaborative type um you know events or experiences or just you know finding um a pleasant corner of the internet to hang out with yeah. like-minded people there was a lot of that energy going on and then um that propels on to this um, the, the tree of echoes and building out the story worlds more, encouraging people to continue to create, uh, with their witch and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm very intrigued, um, when you note that you have another collection sort of coming along that is, uh, exploring more audio, audio and visual sort of, I, I'm not sure, uh, that last bit, but, um, just basically, yeah, in exploring the audiovisual side, 
is it like what you know what can you reveal to us what can you tell i think at the time of of airing this episode you may well have uh you know shared and announced at um nft myc uh and that that whole thing so i mean what what's inspiring you for this next this next phase this next collection this next like opening of a experience oh totally <laughs> yeah thank you that was like a perfect dramatic intro um yeah 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 so i think for i mentioned this a little bit earlier but expanding what nfts can hold like past kind of these singular generative images i, I think the 10k collection profile photos is some of like the most fun sort of generative coding projects out there it was like really great to put together but yeah I, I think like once you're using the internet as a medium or, or even a computer as a medium like what you can do is like quite unbounded especially in terms of like um personalization and also combining it, it can be more of an experience um that is a little richer um and being able to store that and trade it around it's quite a cool application of nfts like it's like very very difficult otherwise to I guess like set up like um, an immersive installation like in a gallery and get people to kind of experience like that depth of um, art, I guess, in the more traditional world. So it was definitely something we wanted to push on for this this next collection. But yeah, the, the Tree of Echoes is a little bit of a prequel. We wanted to, we have a bunch of different experiences. We kind of have very crisp ideas of what we want to build, but we wanted to kind of give like a foundation of lore and sort of anchoring of the universe before really diving into it. So for the narrator's hut, um, we've sort of like cheaply introduced this character and some of our like card games or like the tree, um, but really kind of fleshing out the narrator in their absence. So even though that they're never with you, sort of kind of hinting at who this character is and some of the places they've gone and some of the places that they'll be willing to take you in the future. So yeah, a lot of it really is anchored around stories. And I think also the different creative inclinations of the team. Uh, yeah, I think our designer, Starman, like one is just an incredible musician and we have some like very intriguing, mysterious voices. I would say Aradia's voice especially is just haunting. <laughs> I don't think she realizes this, but it's a very, very cool. So kind of like taking all of these like talents together, I was like, huh, let, let's do something that kind of combines these. So we sort of, um, I, I think also just like the audio space is like in the audio storytelling space is like quite cool. Like Welcome to Night Vale is one of my favorite podcasts where they sort of evoke this town in the middle of Arizona and like the narrator just gives like weekly news updates and sort of flesh the characters out like over very long arcs and episodes. So yeah, I think for, for Crypto Coven Next, sort of anchoring on these like both like audio novels with like also keeping together some of that like very polished generative visual element that kind of came through in The Witches. And yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited for it. <laughs> I, I guess that was still like a little vague, but yeah, we're definitely going into more of like storytelling NFTs and making sure that, yeah, we're expanding past just generative, like flat 2D experiences into something with a little bit more dimension. Does this suggest like looking outside of the bounds of what an ERC721 can do potentially or into new realms into even, you know, XR, VR type of, you know, everyone's building a metaverse these days, but is that something oh, yeah. compelling off in the future that, um, you know, things like this may be emergent from the Coven's community uh, itself? 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I think it makes more sense for their, yeah, I know everyone's building the metaverse and everyone one kind of wants to own the context, right? Um, I think the hard part when, or the, one of the cooler parts of crypto and NFTs right now is that like the standards are so loose and being created that I think, you know, to have like open source items or skins in the way that people are thinking about, you, you really need like core protocols <laughs> that are shared in that consistency. So I, I definitely see like individual ecosystems popping up where like that could definitely be the case. Um, I honestly would love to kind of see some of like the coven creations like intermix in the future and sort of when kind of as the core team we have the opportunity to create the context doing that is like much much easier than it would be kind of um uh, trying to do more of like the metaverse in quotes where it's like any nft project combined but yeah 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 i think like interacting together and kind of displaying some of these fundamental principles is like a really cool way for the ecosystem to go it's also still just kind of like for uh people who are really into optimization like what you can store on chain is quite small and when it's off chain it like doesn't quite count so i'm really interested to see one how the l2s take off and like how like the merge at the end of the summer or like the sharding efforts on ethereum um when there's more space available kind of like the more creative interesting things that people can do then <laughs> i'd say as well like for me i was saying before that not on the episode <laughs> but saying before that i'm flying out to europe to like hook up again with the ethereum community and and all that kind of stuff so i i appreciate like the uh the the nerdiness of of this conversation at this point um and really talking about oh the, hell yes yeah hell yes <laughs> like talking about the technical side of everything because i mean um crypto covens comes across so compellingly in terms of aesthetics storytelling community building all these things that we're talking about um but I think it also gets props for being, you know, right, like being interested about and right on the edge of what's technically uh, possible or looking to, um, as you say, kind of optimize in, in the strongest way and really like test uh, the edges of what's possible. And as you say, like if it's not on chain, uh, it doesn't count as much, which I think is an interesting comment. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, I've been chatting a lot with this on Juanu because for our next question too, we are trying to figure out what it makes sense to actually store on chain versus off chain. And I think um, a lot of folks who are on like the more kind of like purists of the Web3 side have asked us about our choices of like where we store things off chain and kind of like getting into like the, the IPFS versus Amazon debate. So it, it's something that we spent a lot of time time thinking about for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that when you're looking for composable worlds and you're kind of using different NFTs interacting with each other, it's really important you can get the data from the, the token itself. Um, yeah, I think learning more about them, it's, it's a little bit disappointing once you understand how NFTs work because it's such a powerful paradigm, but it, it, it's quite simple. Like they don't exist like... It, in your mind, you're thinking it's like a very physical token that's in your wallet, but really the, everything is kind of self-contained within the smart contract. It kind of takes care of who owns it, like where the metadata is, and it's oftentimes just like pointing somewhere. And honestly, like if you're like an application that's trying to build composable things, you have to follow that link out. It can change. That means you need your own cash. Um, you get to the point where everyone's building their own NFT indexer to sort of be able to do basic things where they're sort of like 
you know, index like caching every contract from the beginning of time on Ethereum, and then every time something changes hands, and every, every time the metadata updates, um, which kind of creates a lot of engineering overhead to these sort of composable projects. So I, I do think once that the data themselves is on chain, and you don't have to make that extra hop to like an external URL, whether it's IPFS, which is quite slow and the gateways are usually clogged, so you have to cache it, or something like, you know, Amazon that could go down, but also like there could be, you know, uh, the security and safety aspects of kind of like fetching files from external servers definitely adds a lot of complexity to app building. So yeah, I think like we'll definitely see more of the composable future where you have many NFTs combined and you can really unlock the open sourceness of the ecosystem um, once you can actually store some more data on chain. <laughs> to what extent is the the significance of once minting on chain that Essentially, as long as uh, Ethereum exists, crypto covens or your collection, your works will continue to exist. And that for mm. the longest time, creative works, artworks, you know, those highly prized or economically valuable are perhaps taken care of and stored and, and all this kind of stuff over, you know, centuries or long periods of time. But like a slightly overlooked or slept on aspect of the whole NFT thing is creators can now take like quite a lot of charge over ensuring that their work can actually um, survive um, and, and, and be there, uh, be there into the future. Oh, yeah. I always thought like the permanence aspect of crypto was like quite an interesting concept that some people are, are very enamored with um, and kind of that idea of longevity or it's like quite hard to update, right? So there's a sense that there's immutability. I think as an engineer, like both, it's very romantic and incredibly frustrating. <laughs> like uh, immutable code, I, I don't know, it might be my hot take, but that, that might not have been the best direction. <laughs> it's like really hard to write something like perfect, absolutely perfect in the first try. And it's like a quite a different debugging process than before. But yeah, I, I think as artists really, Yes, there's like the availability of like the physical object. And I think also the cultural impact that object has and kind of like the uh, the ideas that it's sort of seeded more widely are kind of the, the most important. Well, I think the cultural impact, at least for me, is the more important of the two. I think like, um, you know, you can see, Oh man, I might butcher his name, which I feel so bad about, but he's like the very uh, Andy Goldberg, for example, who does like those really organic installation arts where he'll go out into nature and kind of create something from snow or arranging leaves. Or um, I'm thinking of the spiral jetty as one of his more famous pieces that, that just naturally wear over time. I think like that scale of land art really hadn't seen before. And it started like a whole movement. And it definitely doesn't last and it's kind of like preserved in art history books and like lectures, but the cultural impact of that was definitely there. And yeah, so I, I think for me, like the permanence aspect, it, it's it's not that difficult to back up a file or an experience or um, I love playing like simulated games and things that were on like DOS or like the N64 that um, it, it's really quite hard to replicate the that context anymore to experience it again. Um, but yeah, I think like the cultural longevity of those like art pieces that I experienced as a kid is almost more important than the artifact itself. So like if it can stick around, that's still quite cool. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I honestly think it's okay that the internet has some 
concept of impermanence and that it's constantly changing and reinventing itself. I, I actually think that's quite cool. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I I agree. And and playing between either side and, you know, NFT uh, works that say uh, degrade or devolve over time or evolve oh, over time. Totally. And all those sorts have been some of the um, most interesting works to, to come out over the last like six, 12 months here and there. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I'm really interested to see when things kind of like start mutating really like the, the power of the blockchain is that it's like one big decentralized computer, right? That we can, and it, it kind of like that open sourceness is sort of embedded at its core. And that's, that's really cool. I, I think we'll see like a lot of really interesting, um, riffs on that concept too. <laughs> It's, it's sort of like the story of, of a band that makes good and like, you know, like they have a, uh, a hit song and then they like it rolls from there. So I'm sort of, I'm interested to ask about how has the, the reception or the, the experience of minting crypto covens and this whole community coming out from there, opening the possibilities to kind of continue um, to ex uh, expand upon a project that you developed with your friends, which is a great starting point for it. But I'd love to hear a little about the experience for all of you um, as a group creating this thing together and kind of putting it out in the world. And now, you know, it's uh, yeah, I'd love to love to hear how that how that experience has been for you. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it, it's been like a little bit like uh, it, it's definitely been a dream. Sometimes I still have to like look back and I, I'm just still sort of like floored and amazed or you kind of have to, um, to pinch yourself. I think having having conned all my friends to come work on this with me, I <laughs> definitely stuck to like that. Guys, like this is definitely going to work. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's like quite cool and it'll be fine. And kind of like keeping that mentality to drive things forward. Um, but yeah, if, if you stop and take a breath and look back, it like one, it, it turned out much better than I, I, I ever could have imagined. I think like part of creating something with other people is that kind of like that depth and the different ways that we're perfectionists about different aspects all ended up blending together like quite well, which was cool. But um, yeah, I, I think the fact that I go on Twitter and I still see people using witches or um, now that the price of ETH has dropped, someone new is like, oh, like I finally am able to like grab my dream witch. It just like warms my, <laughs> warms my, my heart. It's, it's so cool. Um, yeah, we're really excited to do these in-person events for NYC NFT and kind of get to meet some of the people. Like um, I, I've always had kind of internet-based friends and sort of been really comfortable making connections online. But yeah, I, I think it'll be really special to try to gather people in the flesh and kind of meet some of this community we've been like so honored to gather. But yeah, I, I've also just been incredibly grateful. We, we kind of put these out there like a, like a net um, where we're like, hey, we have like a really strong idea of what the visuals and the tone will be. And like, let's see who that attracts. And one that it did attract so many people and then that are also cool. <laughs> um, and we really had this like really vibrant creative community that sort of gathered around it. Um, it is awesome. It, it's really the dream. I, yeah, I'm really, I wish I had done it much sooner, but yeah, I, I have also quit my day job to kind of focus on this full time because it just seems like, I don't know, something that I've I've always wanted to do with my time and feel really privileged that I can, I'm able to now. <laughs> Noting that um, there's a value in um, the way that you're creating community in terms of, I know that there's almost like 7,000 members in the Discord now. 
Um, and there's definitely like a a welcoming vibe for anyone, even if they're not presently like holding a witch that people are welcome to come in, uh, and be a part of that world, which is, is definitely a choice and not all, uh, projects necessarily have that vibe. In, In fact, you would, you could make a case that many of them have the exact opposite vibe of like when you've got an NFT, you can be part of the club. And there's the whole thing on Twitter of like, Oh, you sold your NFT. So like remove it as your profile picture and and blah, blah, blah. Even if someone's had their NFT hacked and stolen from them and it's, you know, it's a meme of like, all right, but change, change your profile picture kind of thing. Oh, totally. You're just like cast out into the waste. (laughs) Like goodbye. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think for us, you know, it, we didn't, I, we didn't want crypto company to be exclusively about like getting women specifically into the space, but yeah, like I, I think a lot of the people, I mean, I, I was intimidated about crypto because of the, the financial barrier. I think especially being around since the early internet, there's sort of that paradigm that like everything is, is free. Right. And even exploring stuff, like you would just like get into like torrents or just be able to figure out how to acquire it. And that's like kind of deeply ingrained in like internet culture. So on one hand, I think NFTs bring this ability for, you know, you really just sustain yourself while doing things kind of on the internet and more creative digital experiences. But also, yeah, it's intimidating. It's a lot to put like, you know, maybe like an entire month's paycheck or rent on the table to kind of explore sort of this nascent phase of Web3. And I, I think like, also just gathering different perspectives and different backgrounds are really important to this early phase because you you can't have something that works for everyone unless you have that kind of like diversity of opinion and experience that goes into it. So yeah, we, we made some really intentional choices where we wanted to acknowledge, like we, we picked Ethereum because Ethereum is just the gold standard of crypto. Like all new ideas that I care about at least have been happening on Ethereum and a lot of like the ecosystem and the vibrancy is here, but it, it's in incredibly expensive and people who can afford to transact on the mainnet regularly are like incredibly privileged um not that that's like it's, it's not a bad thing that's just that's just you know it, it it makes it inaccessible so i think the decision to be like yes you can definitely come here even if you don't have a witch or you'll answer your crypto questions or like help you set up a wallet um i that, that was really important to us so a lot of our mechanisms for how we design the mint and the community um, really revolved around that. Like, yeah, we wanted to help like actual beginners get into the space. And oftentimes that means like, you know, not making them take like a pretty intimidated financial gamble, I think like right up front. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's, I think that's great. And something that, um, people are continuing to kind of explore and experiment with the notion of doing a free mint or this and that and all, you know, like people are definitely unpacking, that other people are putting up mints that start at three ETH in a so-called Dutch auction and things like that. So, yeah, I've kind of seen like a divergence, like really people are doing one or the other, where they're like, this is like a very high end, like art object, like the starting price is three ETH or like, yeah, like this is like totally free. Um, But yeah, I think like the financial incentives around the ecosystem make for some really interesting dynamics. I think that's one thing. um, With the coven, we kind of really early on, we're like, no one is allowed to talk about floor price in our Discord as well. Because I think, um, you know, it, it gets to like the sort of obsessive quality for people. And also that, you know, it, it's been very cool that has been the case, but wasn't necessarily like the 
the goal of the project that we were designing, all of the mechanics around was for like the price like rise and fall. So we've sort of also actively de-emphasized it in a lot of our definitely community comms, which has created this more like, um, well, hopefully kind of like a healthier culture where it's more focused on creating things and like how to do things and like picking up the skills to do it yourself or kind of like riffing off of like more of like the, the writing or the art in interesting ways, more so than being focused on like the financial upside or downside of being involved in a particular project. But yeah, I think the, yeah, I want to make sure we don't like kind of slide back into like the dark age of the internet where creators are just doing things for exposure and it's impossible to support yourselves. And then slowly you see people kind of doing interesting indie things bleed out and something like a, like a Facebook just takes over and everything is homogenous and the same. Um, while also not getting to the point where, you know, only like the most privileged can interact and kind of contribute their ideas, this really nascent part of this really nascent phase of what you can use blockchain for and the problems it can solve. Um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully we like hit somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah. I would say you're a force for the good in that effort and oh, that <laughs> helping others to kind of, as you say, like have a friendly, super welcoming sort of onboarding experience into web three and starting to explore that learning how to do things and all that kind of stuff. It's a very valuable thing. There are, you know, there's a collection of different projects that are kind of emphasizing that and doing all of that. Many of those projects are not based behind a PFP collection necessarily. Mm. I find it quite interesting that um, you have this element and perhaps not everyone would suspect that uh, looking at, at covens from the outside before they understand what's happening there, that um, you're essentially helping people with technical understanding and, and perhaps giving them the tools to you know create their own uh, projects altogether. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was like really important to us. I also think like there, there's just an intimidating amount to learn about like getting into Web3 and crypto. Like, you know, even for some of my friends who are like the most technically savvy, like setting up your wallet and getting Ethereum into it is like no small task. So I do think you need something that really like anchors you to be willing to like dive in and digest all that information. I think for me, um, yeah, I, I just really wasn't into crypto at all until I heard... Um, an episode of Camila Russo's podcast, The Defiant, mm -hmm. where they were interviewing the creator of um, a project for uh, Proof of Humanity. Uh, and he was talking a lot about, or I think he's based in Argentina, and he was talking a lot about how he wanted to use blockchain as kind of like an anti-corruption tool for voting. Um, and then, you know, some of the challenges kind of with people so incentivized to corrupt that system. And like, you know, like um, even in Argentina, uh, getting like, flooded by bots and then trying the same thing in Hong Kong and getting an even more sophisticated intelligent bots to the point where he's like, okay, actually, I think just proving you're human is the most important. And then um, trying to figure out a way to do universal basic income. And for me, that was so cool. And I had never thought about being able to use crypto in that way. I had only kind of heard about the narrative of like, you know, people buying and holding and like making it big or like losing everything. So I think for me, that kind of served as like a hook where I'm like, oh, I'm like very interested in this space now and I want to go really deep. And I think like other other times that I've done that is definitely with like stories and narrative. So I think a lot of like the the layers of Crypto Coven and kind of spending a lot on the visual aspects as well and the character piece was I think that also is can can be like a really compelling hook to get folks like interested and kind of have the the fortitude to learn more. But yeah, in my mind, if if we can, in every crypto coven project we roll out from now until then, you know, if we could do something that has like artistic integrity we're proud of and also demonstrate kind of like a, 
like a like a new crypto concept that I feel is a little bit core that people sort of have to understand to be like grounded in the space. That that would be successful. That's that's really what I'm hoping for the project moving forward. <laughs> yeah, what I wanted to ask is essentially like if if you could uh, talk to yourself or to someone in a similar spot to where you would have been in say June, July last year, where you felt inspired to kind of move to create a project or you were simply becoming uh, very interested in, in crypto and what was possible there. Like what would you share perhaps either uh, inspiration, motivation, even guidance of I'd like to create something in web three, um, you know, what, what would be good steps to take? And even what would have been something helpful that you might tell yourself now in June, July, uh, something that might be helpful on that path. Totally. I think that's something that I learned over time and like definitely by like creating the contract and getting into the weeds is that, yeah, a lot of times people are distracted by like the current like patterns or meta, but really what we're doing here is sort of like a blank check to rethink some of the systems that are that are truly just social abstractions, right? I think like, um, you know, you think of money as really real, you think of IP as very real. And a lot of these structures that are actually like quite quite fictional, like imperfect systems, um, they are they are constructs and you can change constructs and suggest new ways. And you sort of have like a blank check to explore that. So when you're thinking of like, what's within the possibility to build, um, yeah, for me right now, like the three concepts people are exploring on Ethereum are, I mean, money is obvious. So it's like a really big third DeFi. I think like governance is emerging. So like, how do you get groups of humans to make decisions at a high level? And there's many different ways to do this. Like, how do you like weight power? How do you like um, protect against corruption? Uh, how do you kind of like hold people accountable for doing what they said they did? So governance is one. And like NFTs is really exploring a concept of ownership. Like what does it really mean to own something? Because at the end of the day, there's always like this strange dissonance between reality and like what's possible and these social systems that, you know, you have to abide by to make society work, but it's not always like a one-to-one. -one. So like, can you really own an idea, right? Like you can't really stop it from like uh, taking root in people's minds and like um, diverging and changing and, you know, people doing what they like with it. but as humans, we want to own ideas, right? So we have like the copyright system, the IP and the legal system where you like you sue people if they're stealing your idea. Um, so there's that punishment aspect or, you know, even going to do something like you go to the store and you get a paper receipt and now you own that item um, and kind of the repercussions for breaking that contract. So I think like, um, yeah, we're, we're really applying this very like, um, the social abstraction to digital things now and, yeah, when you're thinking about the realm that's possible, any of those constructs are really fair game. Also kind of expanding a little bit, um, you know, you can change them pretty dramatically and kind of having that like agency to rethink those things. Um, I think there was a trend for a little bit where people were thinking of different, when proof of stake first came out, like, like proof of stake is is the second one ethereum's really exploring it's it's still not perfect right proof of stake is basically capitalism <laughs> like the more capital you have the the more power you have in the voting system um but people were talking about like ah like we could do proof of history so 
um, the more you know about something, or if you have a track record of building the space, like that should give your voice more vote, or a proof of education. So if you've studied something and devoted a lot of time to it, like that should weight it. Or, um, you know, I, I think even proof of time, like I, I've just been like, like grinding in the space and having that. And none of these systems are perfect, but they're all very interesting abstractions to apply to that problem. So yeah, I would think about crypto with that lens and not be like super sucked into like, ah, okay, I have to do like a, a 10K project that looks like this or like, ah, like, you know, um, this is like very specific ways, like our, or like a, like a interesting marginalized loan implementation <laughs> that I could build um, <laughs> on one of like the, like emerging protocols and starting, starting thinking from that level versus like a higher level of abstraction. Oh, sorry. That was a really weird answer. I, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> no, I appreciated it. Um, this is the this is the nerdy sort of deep dive conversations that I enjoy. Um, <laughs> okay, great, perfect. So I super appreciate it. There was gold in there. There really was. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think too. Like for I think something more applicable if you want to do a creative project is it, it's yeah. Like I think there there's just like um there's a lot of like potential in the space, and I think the big paradigm shift in NFTs in particular was um, before you would have to do something kind of free or ad revenue and you have to reach like a billion people to be successful, right? And survive because you're getting like 0.01 cent on every view. So you kind of have to play to generalities and you need to make something like popular that kind of like resonates with everyone to be successful, which, which is quite hard. I think a cool part about NFTs and people being able to pay you for your work is that, um, yeah, you could do something much more interesting and niche and like probably get like a much smaller audience, but they have like a deeper resonance to what you are doing and you could still like survive off of that and then, you know, create something that's a little bit more true to yourself. So I, I would say like not being too afraid to shy away for something like weird or strange or something like very niche and unique, because I, I think that's um, one really possible and two, it, it, it does hook people and you'll get, you'll find people that resonate with your niche. There's like a billion people out there on the internet. There's definitely, you can find 9,000 that are into your weird thing. <laughs> Thank you to Nix for coming on UFO. If you're interested to learn more about their project, head to their website at cryptocoven.xyz. Thanks to our sponsors who made this episode possible. To get started with Zerion and create your new crypto wallet today, head to zerion.io. And to join the Lens ecosystem and explore the future of Web3 social, be active around UFO, engage with us on Twitter, join the community. We'll have invites to share. Find our content at ufoclub.lens. Much news is coming soon. This is Nick Collins signing off from UFO.